non-apologizers. Not sure I want to give a name to my listeners just yet, but anyways, I'm your host, Nikki, and this is Still Won't Apologize, a place where we can have unfiltered conversations about everyday life. I want to take the time and say thank you for downloading this episode and continuing to listen. Join me every other week as I sit down with guests or myself, uh, discuss different paths that life has taken, maybe share some expertise information, or maybe just have conversations about random stuff. Who really knows? Anyways, I promise you that you will either laugh, cry, or quite possibly give you something to carry with you as you navigate life. As always, here's a reminder that you do not need to apologize for being yourself, and I really hope you enjoy this episode. Hey everyone, it's Nikki. Welcome to Still Won't Apologize. Today I'm sitting down with Lucinda Testo, a coach and longtime psychotherapist. And Lucinda, can you please take some time to introduce yourself to my audience? Sure. Um, so as you mentioned, I'm Lucinda Testo. I have been a therapist for 18 plus years. And a few years ago, I branched off and opened up a second business um, doing coaching for divorced women. I help women um, fast track their healing to find their new identity and create um, their new life post-divorce. Nice. What got you into wanting to shift into that space? So I was actually, I've been divorced myself. I got divorced. Um, actually, it'll be 11 years next month. I got divorced when my kids were four years old and eight months old. And it was the hardest decision I ever made also the best decision I ever made. Um, and after I went through my own divorce and my own healing journey, I, for whatever reason, kept getting a lot of women contemplating divorce, going through divorce in my psychotherapy private practice. And I found that I kept kind of teaching them the same or suggesting the same strategies over and over and over again. And so I decided to branch off and do a second business that like solely focuses on kind of the poor, the post divorce rebuild for um, divorced moms. That's, that's great. I love how you took your own experience to kind of, you know, help others with that's one of my like passions, like find something that you've experienced and see how you can take what didn't work for you, create something to make it, make it work from you and then help others with it. That's, that's great. Um, So you mentioned something in that, in that sentence where you, why women stay in relationships or how hard it is for them to leave. What is the most common reason or reasons why women stay in unhappy or unhealthy relationships that you have come across? So I I think I've categorized them into like nine different things that I tend to see the most frequent. Um, The first one is like time invested, right? People are like, oh my God, but I've, you know, just spent like 15 years with this person or 25 years from this person. I don't want to have to start all over. So they worry about like kind of throwing in the towel after spending so much time. So that's um, the first thing. The second thing is if they have kids, they're worried about the impact on their kids, um, which is totally understandable. Um, The third is like holding out hope that their partner is going to finally change right? They talk about it all the time. Um, And then over and over again, maybe there's short term change, and then things kind of go back to the way they were, and then they're unhappy again. 
but holding out hope that maybe this time it'll be different. Um, then there is the uh, guilt and fear of being selfish, right? Yeah. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna end the family unit, right? And maybe everyone else is happy. They're the only ones that are not happy. So they have like a lot of guilt and fear around that. Right. Kind of like the, what is it? Uh, I say mom guilt, but I guess it can go more than that. Whereas why are you thinking about yourself? You should be thinking about, you know, everybody. Because mm -hmm. we're socialized that way, right? right? We're socialized to worry about everybody else. Mm -hmm. um, then there's, you know, the women who feel like they're, they're going to be a failure. They're going to get judgment from other people, family members, friends, the community, things like that. Um, fears of ending up alone is huge. Yeah, like people are so worried, like, is the devil I know better than the, you know, being alone for the rest of my life. Right. Also something I think that's kind of embedded in us at a young age of having to find a partner, having to get married, mm -hmm. you know, this idea of not being married is, I think more so now is, is being more acceptable, but back in the day, I'd I say not so agree. much. Right. Yep. But it's still one of the number one fears that I hear. Um, also, the fear of is my partner, will my partner change for somebody else? Right. Ooh, I keep asking them. Right. I keep yeah. asking them to, you know, do all these things to meet my needs. They're not doing it. But like if I divorce them, are they going to then go out and be the perfect right. you know, spouse or partner to somebody else? Um, and then the eighth one is complacency right? Mm -hmm. Like things aren't always that bad. Like, is this good enough? Mm -hmm. Um, and then the last one, which is super common is, is finances, right? People are worried right. about living on one income. Are they going to be able to financially make it? So those are probably the top nine things I hear most commonly for women as to why they stay in unhappy or unhealthy marriages. The one that you, the, I think it was number eight, where, um, will they be better with somebody else? I had a relationship mm -hmm. in high school and I remember that same thing happened after we broke up, he was doing all these things for the new girlfriend. And I remember having a conversation along the lines of like, well, these are the things I asked you for. Why couldn't you do it for me? And he literally said something along the lines, I just couldn't do them for you. And mm. that for me was, was enough for me to go, okay, <laughs> maybe, oh. maybe this wasn't what I thought it was, or maybe this relationship wasn't, you know, the glamour and, and, you know, for me, but that hit very hard is sometimes you just can't do things for people. And I don't know necessarily where that sits in psychology, but there's things, there's people in your life that you have no problem bending over backwards for. And then there's other people where you're just like, I can't do this. So that kind of yeah. hits. That kind of hits me. <laughs> yep. Well, uh, again, very common, very common fear. And you know what? Sometimes our partners do change and like good for them. Mm -hmm. Lots of times they don't. Right. Right. <laughs> right. And it just they, looks like they that go on to repeat. Yeah. Right. Or they go on to repeat unhealthy, you know, mm -hmm. patterns. And maybe it's good in the beginning because let's face it, the honeymoon period is usually good for people. And Right. Right. Um, have you ever come across when we were talking about why women stay in unhappy or unhealthy relationships, what if what they think is, is their, I'm trying to think of the best way to word this. What if they don't know? Like, what if all of these things are happening, but they consider it to be normal? How do you kind of work with somebody who's, who's 
facing this relationship, oh, that's just how it's how it's supposed to be or how it is. Do you ever come across that type of situation? So I rarely, I mean, like as a, a therapist and coach, I rarely come across people who think that their situation is normal, mm-hmm. right? Because typically they're coming to me because they're in some sort of emotional pain, right? right? And they know that they're not happy. It's more along the lines of like, can I deal with it the rest of my life? Right. Right. So not necessarily that they see it as being normal, but like, is it good enough? Mm-hmm. Like, do I rock the boat? Do I just kind of like put my happiness aside and just keep plugging along? Right. Um, so I experience it, it more that way, I think. Got it. Cause I feel like sometimes in like passing with friends or conversations that you might have and like you always, especially when you're like sitting down with your girlfriends, it's always like, I don't, I don't think that should have happened. She's like, Oh, that's fine. You know, it happens all the time. And then you're having this conversation of what is right and what is okay. So it's like learning these boundaries of, okay, you may have had these in past relationships, but in this relationship that shouldn't have carried on. So then you kind of have to focus inward on why these types of things happen. Mm -hmm. Um, I find it interesting. that. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say it's if they're talking to you like it's no big deal, right? Right. They're not the ones that are coming to my office. They're the ones that are like, oh, right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You're like, oh my God, they're saying what? That's not okay. But I think it's also too like understanding, you know, what you're, what is okay in, in regards to how you should be treated or, or, um, what you should deal with, as you mentioned. I think a lot of things too, when it comes to relationships, especially for females is, um, you know, we are also, I like to say programs, but I know that's not really the the best word to use, but from a young age, socialize is probably a better word, Mm -hmm. but we are mental load, I think is a huge thing for women in relationships, especially marriages, because we are responsible for handling so many things in the house and we crave partnership and reality is just taking care of another body. Um, with regards to those types of relationships and trying to set a new standard, do you, when you work with these women, I, I'm assuming, and please correct me if I'm wrong, they're coming post-divorce or in the process of deciding divorce. And if that's, if they're in the process of deciding, if that type of situation comes up, do you work with them on how to set ways with their partners to kind of get to that level where they are on a partnership? Mm-hmm. So a hundred percent. Yes. So it depends, right? If, so I have like two completely separate businesses. So on the therapy side of my business is where I am meeting with the women who are kind of contemplating divorce and you hit the nail on the head almost a hundred percent of the time I can literally cut copy paste. <laughs> it is I work full time. I take care of the kids. I do the housework. I do. I take them to and from their sports and their doctor's appointments and the parent teacher conferences and their spouses are not carrying the same load. Right. And it ends up leading to a ton of resentment. And, you know, typically it's like, I've asked, I've asked, I've asked, they change for a while, they help out a little bit, and then it kind of falls back off Mm -hmm. and they get to the point where they're just sick of this shit. Right. And they feel like their spouse is almost like another child that they have to take care of. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's many reasons why couples get to this point. And that's probably a whole separate podcast. Right. But (laughs) a a lot of the people, a lot of the people that I work with, the, you know, the women tend to overfunction and their spouses tend to underfunction. 
Mm -hmm. and it creates like this really imbalanced relationship on the post divorce, you know, post divorce side, right. When I'm helping women with their post divorce rebuild, uh, we focus a lot on that of how do you not create that again in another relationship? Right. Right. Cause they're so used to that role. It's easy to jump into another one where they're with a partner who's not pulling their weight and it feels familiar and our brains like familiar. Right. right? So it, it's breaking out of that. Right. And I feel like also just as women were natural caregivers, right? We immediately want to hop in and play that role and not realizing that it's actually to our detriment sometimes because yes, it's nice to do nice things for somebody to take care of somebody you love, but at some point it can get taken advantage of or replaces what you thought you had at the beginning during the honeymoon stage, which might look like a partnership, but then you're doing more, as you say. It's it's yeah. such an interesting dynamic of, and I, and it's hard for me sometimes to hear it with some relationship, uh, friends, relationships. Like I hear uh, quite often of how the dynamic works. And I feel like in this day and age, we still, we shouldn't be hearing it as often anymore, but it's a, it's more common than people think. Like, I like to think I have a partnership, but I'm sure there's some certain things that I can go, okay, maybe not in this part of it. But I know if I sat my husband down and was like, Hey, I've been handling this a lot lately. This is just too much. I have too much going on. Can you take it? He would jump up willingly and able to just do it. Um, and not a lot of women can say that they have that. And then coming from a relationship where you didn't have that, like you said, how do you change that pattern? Like, what are some of the things that you work with these women to kind of change that need to be a caregiver and instead make themselves worth of a part, make, make themselves worthy of a partnership? Right. Uh, a lot of mindset work, right? <laughs> Lots of times um, women aren't really sure who they are anymore, right? After being a wife and a mom for so many years. So like, that's kind of what we focus on first is like, all right, well, like, who are you? Who are you? Who do you want to be? Right. And then when it comes to relationships, you know, I always discourage dating until they are like super crystal clear about the type of partner that they want and need in their life, because otherwise you're not dating for intention with intention, right? You're just mm-hmm. dating to date. You're going to probably kiss a lot of frogs, right. the whole nine yards, right? So we go through, right? We reflect on the marriage, like what didn't work and why didn't it work and what needs weren't being met right? Because we need to figure out what that was so that you don't repeat it in a new relationship. So once they're really clear about the type of partner they're looking for and what needs they need to have met, then it sounds kind of corny, but they almost have a rubric for when they're dating, right? right? And you want the person that you're dating to check most of these boxes. And if they don't, release it, right? And and keep it moving. So, um, doing a lot of mindset work around like, let's not repeat the same pattern because then you'll have two divorces under your belt <laughs> right. so, or three or mm-hmm. four. So and do you feel that most women, when they get to that state where they're maybe dating somebody that meets certain criteria or Rubik checklist, whatever you just, mm-hmm. however you just put it, does it come into like, do you see them sacrificing like the important ones because there's so many little boxes checked or is it the, a combination of that with the fear of being alone? This person checks 
most of my boxes, things that I'm willing mm-hmm. to deal with, but because I'm afraid of being alone, I could deal with the stuff that's not being checked. Do you see that a lot yeah. as well? So I generally have people make two lists, right? I have them make the must-have qualities and the would-be-nice-to-have qualities. Mm -hmm. So the must-have qualities are the non-negotiables. Like if they don't have this, I am not interested, right? And so we really go through and kind of detail that out. And then the would-be-nice-to-have categories might be something like, you know, I really like the country line dance and so does he, right? Mm -hmm. Or I love to hike and so does he where you know or he's like six foot four and you know (laughs) like who cares he's a god (laughs) right um so i have them separated out into like the non-negotiables and the negotiables right the negotiables (laughs) if they don't check all the boxes no big deal but if they don't have a lot of the core qualities that you're looking for definitely definitely don't invest your time i had i had this one client who was dating someone post-divorce when she started to see me and we made this list and she came up with 10 non-negotiables and then we matched it against the partner that she was currently dating where things were feeling kind of rocky and out of those 10 things he only checked off two. Ooh, yeah so that should be an automatic no right? <laughs> pass <laughs> and she's, she's a teacher and I was like all right I'm gonna put this in like teacher terms like right he scored a 20 percent out of a hundred 20%. Yeah. What, what are you doing? What, what are you doing? Right. But what again, I think, yeah, I think it's that, again, the fear of being alone. I think a lot of women are just, I can't start over or this is okay. And mm-hmm. it's, it's trying to understand that you can start over, right? Like it's people have done it so many times in history. You can do it too, but yeah. it's that it's, I get it. It's, it's having to face your own personal you know, issues that you might have internally with that struggle while also trying to find somebody who will also work with that internal struggle to need the things that you need. And that to me, I feel like is, is a very hard thing to do when you don't want to be alone. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It is, it is, but I I find like most people aren't even clear about what they want and that's part of the problem. Right. And once they figure it out, it's like, oh, wow, I really am with the wrong, the wrong person. Right. Well, it's that, so. like, you have to take care. It's that long, you know, that saying where you, you know, you can't be 100% there for everybody else. If you're not 100% there for yourself, like, how are you able to be 100% in a relationship? If you don't know a, who you are, be what you want mm-hmm. and see what are those things that you're not willing to put up with. And that comes in that self-discovery point. And this all kind of happens, I would assume, during, you know, starting the process of divorce. But post-divorce, as you mentioned, is probably where most of that work is. Um, Have you had any situations where things are just so hard for women to see or so hard to work through? And then it's like a light bulb and they're just like, oh, my God, I can't believe it's taken me this long to get there. Have you had situations like that? And then it's just like this person just turns around and everything they see everything differently. So I think, you know, in my little bio, I put that I created what I call like the move on method, right? Mm -hmm. And each of the letters, like it's an acronym and it's kind of the journey that I bring women through from, I call it the post-divorce muck, right? Mm -hmm. Like all of those feelings of grief and shame and, you know, disappointment, everything else. Um, So, 
you know, and I bring them kind of through this like self-discovery journey, right. so to speak. And along those lines, right? A lot of times they're like stuck in the muck when I first start working with them. And like, as we're like, kind of like moving through the journey, you definitely see light bulbs going off. You definitely see more self-love, right? So Mm -hmm. maybe not necessarily like a giant light bulb, but you can like see it even in their affect when I meet with them, right? Like they're a little bit brighter. They're not so like teary or weepy. Um, You know, they're excited to tell me like what they've accomplished that week or things of that nature. So uh, maybe less light bulb moments and more of just kind of like that steady progression. Mm-hmm. In the post divorce, as you talk about this journey, what are the most what are the most common things that women struggle with? Is it very is it similar to the the list that you started with at the beginning, where it's making the decision? Right, you have all of these other. Do those reasons carry on in the post divorce, or do you see a different um, list of? things that might so come typically up. some there's some overlap um I would say like post-divorce right people um if their partner moves on before they do right their partner's already in this new relationship lots of times people feel like oh my god did he ever even love me like was all this a waste and that's like a huge hit to the self-esteem right, right stalking the social media which mm-hmm. is the worst thing you can do I understand but we're all so why. guilty of it <laughs> we're all we I do it with everybody <laughs> yes I understand it and it's probably the worst thing you can do right to sit right. there on a Friday night and like check out how happy they look because let's be honest everybody looks happy on social media if you People can't believe everything like, the best it. stuff it's, out there yeah right I mean, yeah nothing's perfect so <laughs> Seeing their partner move on before them, they really struggle with that, right? It's the fears and the overwhelm of like having to start all over again. Um, For my clients who are moms, especially of younger kids, there's the fear of like, who's going to want to date a mom of like three young kids? Who's going to want to take that on? Um, What else? Um, I don't know. And, you know, not feeling good about themselves. And like right. I said, like worrying that they're never going to find love again. And they're going to, you know, grow old you, with 50 cats. Right. How do you work with moms in that mindset where, you know, nobody's going to want somebody with three kids? Honestly, I feel like there are a lot of men out there that would appreciate somebody who has kids. So how do you get them <laughs> into that mindset that they are worthy, even though they have children? Well, I think what works to my benefit is because I was that mom, right? right? My kids were four and eight months old. I mean, mm-hmm. those are really young kids. Yeah. And I definitely was like, who is going to want to take on this? Right. And mm-hmm. I'm like always stressed out and I'm working two jobs and whatever else. But at the end of the day, like I'm now currently remarried. Okay. Way better the second time around, <laughs> right? Much more of an equal partnership. And, you know, one of my non-negotiables was finding someone who was going to love my kids as much as they loved me. Right. And so I did find that. And I feel like I'm a testament to like those men do exist, Mm -hmm. right? Might Mm -hmm. take a little bit longer to find, but they're absolutely out there. Right. And you definitely, if you have young kids, want to find someone who wants to be a stepdad because otherwise you end up living two separate lives, right? Right. Your home life with your kids and then a dating life with this partner. 
Mm-hmm. And if you can't ever combine it, that's going to wear you down. Oh, I can imagine, like, I can't imagine having to live two separate lives in that sense. And also too, like with, with divorce, with kids, I'm assuming there's a co-parenting aspect of this where you have to involve the the father of these children. Do you have any, have you worked with women that want to introduce, I'm assuming you have, but want to introduce the new partner to the old partner? Do you work with them on how to make sure that that is a, um, non-hostile type of situation do you have steps that they can take to prepare themselves for it because I feel like that's kind of a hard thing to do going to your old partner and go here's this new gentleman (laughs) right he's gonna be a part of our kid's life now (laughs) so I will say this my answer to this will will be all over the map Mm -hmm. depending on what the circumstances are right Right. like I have people who part pretty amicably Right. Mm-hmm. And they have decent co-parenting relationships and maybe even their ex-spouse still comes to the kids, you know, birthday parties or whatever else. And like, great. Then it's like not that big of a deal. Right. Then you have ones where it's like totally toxic and mm-hmm. really unhealthy. And so I, my answer to that would be, it really depends on the situation. Right. How yeah. did that, that, I would like to think if I ever was in a position where I felt I needed to divorce my husband that we could be adults and we can talk it out and we could be amicable. But I know that that's not always the case with toxic relationships and how they end. What are some of the things that women especially will take away from those? Obviously I'm assuming self-love, self-worth, all of that comes into play, but it can get really ugly. Like how do those situations get handled? How do you repair or help a woman repair and move on from a really, really toxic relationship? So that, so someone who's coming out of like a really toxic relationship, right? Like, let's say there's like severe narcissistic abuse. And I know like, right. The word narcissist is like the term du jour, like everybody's <laughs> a narcissist, right. And, right. Using the, the DSM five clinical criteria, mm-hmm right? Probably about 20% of those people are actually true narcissists. But Mm -hmm. either way, the people who are leaving like severely like narcissistic abusive relationships and things like that, those are people who I wouldn't take on as coaching because they need like more therapeutic work. Right. Right. Because it's, it's been a cycle of abuse for, you know, God knows how many years. Right. Um, so I definitely don't see those people and it's, it's trauma, right? My, my area of specialty is definitely not, um, in trauma, you know, in my therapy mm-hmm. business. So those are women who would do best with a therapist who specializes in trauma to help them work through like a really toxic marriage right. gone wrong. Narcissism. I feel like over the last few years with TikTok has been like the topic of conversation everywhere, everywhere. everywhere. And like I said, if you looked at the diagnostic and statistical manual, right, five (laughs) text revised, right. And you went through the criteria, most people don't fall into that category. Mm -hmm. They they're an asshole, right? right. Or maybe, you know, they're a selfish jerk, and maybe they have like some like narcissistic tendencies, mm-hmm. but um, they're most people aren't a, a true narcissist. Gotcha. But yes, it's all over TikTok. It's all over TikTok. That and ADHD. <laughs> the other one. Yes. <laughs> yes. 
So let's uh, jump back into your post-divorce, your move on program. Can we talk a little bit about that? Can you mention, you said you have acronyms. Let's go through all the steps. What does that look like? Okay. So, um, so the M and the move on method start stands for managing the muck and mastering your mindset. So oftentimes when women come to me, they're stuck in the grief and the sadness, the shame, the disappointment, all of those like uncomfortable feelings. And they're generally like stuck there, right? They're thinking about it all the time. It's interfering with work. It's, you know, they're crying at night or they can't sleep. So what we do there is we kind of reflect on the marriage. You know, we do some, some healing work around like why the marriage didn't work, um, coming to terms with it. And, you know, I use some cognitive behavioral strategies to talk about like mindset shifts that they can use to kind of help bring them out of the the muck, so to speak. Um, so after we do that, right, the O stands for um, optimizing their strengths by getting to know and love themselves again. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. self-esteem is usually in the shitter. People are like, nobody's ever going to want me. I've gained weight since I had kids or whatever, whatever the reason is. So this is like a whole period of time where we do like a lot of self-discovery. One mm-hmm. of my favorite things to do is I have women pick out their post-divorce theme song. Oh, nice. And I love it. So (laughs) pick out their post-divorce theme song, right? So I have a list of songs that like people have chosen in the past and and things like that. And I put the links in there and I'm like, you could pick one of these, you could pick your own, but it's meant to be an empowering, inspiring song. I'm like, learn the words, turn it on in the morning, listen to it on your way to work, right? Dance around your kitchen to it and like, let this be like your theme song. Like it's a hype song. Coming out theme song. Yes, totally. (laughs) So I do a bunch of different work with them around like how to figure out who they are, what they enjoy, what they're good at, like just, right. We're like loving on ourselves. And this is actually probably the hardest module for people to do because Mm -hmm. people have a really hard time saying positive things about themselves. Right. Like really positive. Yeah. It's so easy for us to go to the negative, but in reality, like there's a lot of things to be positive, grateful for in your life. But again, I think from a societal standpoint, we're taught to see the bad in everything before we're taught to actually appreciate the good. It's, it's a mindset I've worked very hard to change over my adulthood because I was surrounded Mm -hmm. by a lot of negative thinking growing up. So it's definitely a hard place to get out of. So I love, I love yep. that. Like I would take that module just to <laughs> get myself out, yep. back up in it. Um, so so I'm, I'm telling you, it's, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's helpful for anyone. And like, you know, what I hear you saying is like stuff along the lines of like gratitude. And that's kind of what I teach in like, you know, in the, in the M that's one of the mindset strategies is like developing a daily gratitude practice because there is always something to be grateful for. Right. And I truly believe that gratitude is the antidote to so many negative feelings, Mm -hmm. but it's learning and training your brain to like cultivate it. Absolutely. And I always tell people it's not flipping a switch. Mm -hmm. It's hard work. Mm-hmm. And you have to work at it every day. Mm-hmm. And over time, it becomes it becomes easier. Right. What my gratitude practice is very much along the lines of there was a time in your life that you wanted what you had now and you should appreciate mm-hmm. it. 
rather than yep. continuing oh, I love to, that. to the next thing. Like there was a time yeah. where you wanted to work from home. Guess what? You work from home. Stop complaining. Like you got what you right. want. You know, that's kind of my gratitude practice, but a lot of people have a hard time doing that. And it surprises me. I actually had this conversation with my husband not too long ago. And I was like, do you ever sit down and like reflect on where we've came, come from as a couple, from living in a tiny apartment to having the house, to getting our jobs? Like, and he's like, you know, not really. And I was like, you need to start doing that. Like, we need to like thank, thank the universe for giving us and helping us make our dreams come true. Obviously, we worked hard for it, but we should have some type of reflection on it because there was a time where we these were our dreams. And it's, I feel right. like it's a, a like we owe it, like it's a, a, a we owe it to our to the universe to say thank you for these things. I asked, okay. I wished, I wanted them, and now they're here. And instead of sitting in it and reflecting on what we have, it's like, what's next? What's next? What's next? So I've been trying right. to slow myself down. Exactly. Yep. I almost think it's the human condition, right? To once we achieve what we say, once we have, then I'll be happy. Mm-hmm. We set the benchmark out even further, right? Absolutely. So then it's like, oh, well now, like once I lose 10 pounds, then I'll be happy, right? Mm-hmm. And then you lose 10 pounds. It's like, well, once I lose 20 pounds, then I'll be happy, right? right. Or once I get this job or once I get this degree or certificate, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then you get it. And then before you even appreciate or feel grateful for it, you're already pushing the benchmark to something else. So you never end up being truly happy. Right. I was about to say, nothing will ever make you happy in that mindset. Absolutely. Yep. yep. So it's bringing it back to the present and being grateful for the little stuff. And I always tell people like, you know, everybody's like thankful for their kids or for their dog, right? Or whatever. Like. <laughs> specific like what did your dog do today that you are grateful for right 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 so I don't know I think another aspect of that is also a comparison of what the life you thought you were going to have versus the life that you do have and trying to let go of that idea of what you were conditioned or taught or Mm. required of how do you kind of work or is that kind of incorporated letting go into the idea of what it was supposed to be like? How do you, you, is that part of your program? A hundred percent. Good. I yeah. would have to say that for me personally, that was probably the hardest part for me because right. my parents have been married for over 50 years. Mm-hmm. No one in my family at the time when I got divorced had been divorced, aunts, uncles, cousins, mm-hmm. like nobody. And so I was like the first one to get divorced. I had these young kids. It's not how I saw my life turning out. It's not right. I remember my parents taking me and my two kids to Disney and like after I had gotten divorced and I remember walking around the Disney parks, like seeing all like the happy mm-hmm. intact families. And it was like heart stabbing right? because that's what I wanted. And now I didn't have that anymore. Mm-hmm. So yes, there is, there is that accepting that how you saw your life turning out is not how it turned out and dealing. That's like part of the grief process. Right. right? Mm-hmm. But right. For me, you fast forward 11 years. I've been with my current husband. We've been together a little over seven married for almost five. And it's way better right? Like way better than I ever could have imagined. And if I had hadn't had the courage to leave an unhappy marriage, I never would have realized how good things can actually be. Right. And it's, 
it's hard for people to see that side of things, right? They think what they're in is is it. And again, it goes yeah. with societal or condition to believe, you know, and there's things too. I, I do want to preface a lot of this conversation with marriages will have problems and there are ways to work through them and there can happen. But when you get to a point where you don't feel like your partner is doing the things that you ask, or like you said, that cycle is repeating, that's when you have to start kind of thinking, all right, how many times am I going to sit here and say, I need help with this, or I need help with this, or I need you to do this. Then you just turn into that constant, like nagging wife term like everybody says yep. you're being a nag but most of the time you think about that nagging wife it's probably because she asked you a thousand times before that and you just mm-hmm. ignore um I think there's a lot to be said between the generations and how women were perceived as that type of wife like I remember when my husband and I first got married or got engaged like we used to own a, a bar back in Connecticut and all the like older guys was like, Oh, you got a ball and chain now. And it's like, he, and I remember him going to me, I don't really understand that because I don't feel like I have a ball and chain. I was like, that's just their way of looking at their wives or, or the women in their right. life. It's always been this negative thing, but it doesn't necessarily have to be. Obviously there are good and bad parts of a marriage, but it's being able to communicate and work on yourself and your partner working on themselves and want to do the work. Right. Because that's what I think mm-hmm. all of this starts going down that path of we're going to end up divorced or I'm thinking about divorce because this no longer serves me in the way that I need, but I need it to. Right. I, I think can it- tell pretty quickly mm-hmm. when therapy clients come to me and they're kind of in that contemplative stage mm-hmm. of whether it's going to work or whether it's not. Now it's not my job to tell them, right. right? They have to come to that, their own decision. But believe it or not, there's a lot of women who are like, like at the point where they want to throw in the towel, but they still really want their marriage to work. And then I work with them and give them strategies to use with their spouses to try and like turn things around. Because oftentimes there's lots of stuff that they could be doing. Maybe they're not asking for what they need or they're not asking for for what they need in a way where their spouse can hear it, right? Without getting defensive. Mm-hmm. because the delivery sucks and things like that. So, I mean, believe it or not, I mean, I'd say probably 60% of the clients that come to me actually end up staying and trying to work on their marriages. Right. That's, that's 40% move forward. Yeah. It's funny you say that my husband always goes, I'm not a mind reader, Nick. You got to tell me. And yep. I'm like, I told you. And he's like, but you, but you didn't tell me. <laughs> right. It well, is we think, right? I've been with my partner for so long. They should just know. They should know like, me. <laughs> right. But they don't. Right. No. They don't. Yeah, we, we had this conversation no. last night because he just kind of had like a switch in mood. And I was like, all right, what's wrong? Like, he's like, Nick, you've been with me. We've been together 18 years. Like, you know me. Sometimes I don't know what does it, it has nothing to do with you. I just, I no. just shifted the mood. And I was like, okay. And I just kissed him. And we like, we went to bed. But like, it is understand you can know your partner for as long as you do, but there are times and this happens in my relationship where I do question those things. Like he acted a little weird. Did, am I reading this situation? Right. Or, you know, sometimes we'll have conversations and we feel one or the other person feels like we're not really being listened to. And I, me, especially I'll get frustrated. I'll be like, we've had this conversation so many times. Like, I don't understand mm-hmm. what you don't understand, or I don't understand why you think we didn't talk about this. But in reality, we've talked about it so many times. Like those, 
when I think of our problems, it's more so on that line. It's where I feel like yep. we've talked about everything, but he's like, but, but we did. And I'm like, well, then you weren't listening. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's, that's the, and, only I mean, you guys sound like you're having a relatively constructive conversation about it. Right. Yes. But then there's the people who have the toxic conversations about it where mm-hmm. they name call and they scream at each other and they slam stuff around and right. And right. nobody's listening at that point. No, 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 no. <laughs> and honestly, I will say where we are now, if you had talked to us year two or three, probably mm-hmm. that, I mean, there are times oh. where, you know, I'd storm out of the house or he'd storm out of the house or our egos would get us. And we learned, I used to have this, we used to say this thing to each other when we realized we were getting so hot and heavier, hot headed about things, we would say, can we talk like adults? And if one person said no, then guess what? The topic is off the table and we will come back to it. We could talk like adults. And that little, little practice helped us be able to facilitate conversations where we can hear each other out and be constructive and not be just screaming at each other. That took a lot of work from the both of us because we both have pride and egos that, you know, Mm -hmm. need to, need to be heard, need to be heard. Um, but it's not that easy too, right? Like, I'm not going to say that was, that was an easy practice that we took on, but I, for me, it was very much like you said, we knew we wanted to be with each other. We knew our marriage, we wanted our marriage. We wanted to be, be forever for each other. What do we need to do to make sure that both of our needs are being met or the other person is being heard of? You do have situations where women or men, I mean, I don't want to exclude men because men are in this as well, but they do have that. They don't have that partner that wants to work with them where, and that's to me, when I hear this, I have such a hard time accepting that this exists because you married the person. You should want to give them the world. You should want them to be heard, felt, loved. Like how do people go through or stay? Why do people, first of all, why do people stay in those relationships, which we've kind of already touched on, but how does the partner live with themselves knowing that they're not doing these things for the person that they love? Like that to me, out of all of the reasons why I would look back on a marriage, if I was in that case is what, like, why wasn't he able to do that? Or why wasn't she able to, that's, that's such a hard concept for me because when you love somebody, you want sometimes it was, sometimes it just wasn't a good match from the get-go right right? like I always tell people like tell me how you met like what made you fall in love with them whatever Mm because you you glean a lot of information from that Mm -hmm. sometimes just from that story I'm like never should have gotten married (laughs) right I don't don't say that out loud but like this problem was always here it's not going away right you're, right you can't fast forward like 20 years and expect this person to be different than they were when they were like this the day you met them right, right. you just we tend to put on the rose-colored glasses when we're first mm-hmm. meeting people and everything feels good and exciting and mm-hmm. you know those red flags what red flags right um that type of thing but so sometimes people were never really a good match mm-hmm. and sometimes it's just kind of like a slow breakdown over time right right and that's I what I find like generally happens is like where along the way like the things start to shift or change or like you're not feeling cared for I'm not feeling cared for and you know just to be clear I work primarily with with women but there are batshit crazy women out there, right? Where <laughs> right. The men, I'm like, oh my gosh, you know what I mean? So it goes, it goes both ways. Um, but yeah, it's, 
Yeah, I have. It's just so hard for me to to grasp not wanting to be 100% for the person that I truly love and care about. But you're right. It could just be it was always there. I always I also want to touch on like people do grow, people do change, but the level that they reach can kind of get stunted. And I think that also adds frustration or false hope, right? Because you've seen them change. You've seen them make the difference, but it's not enough. Is that kind of like a negotiate, non-negotiable or negotiable? Like if you see growth in a person, do you give them the benefit of the doubt? How, how do you go about that? Why? I say like, stay clear of the people who have the fixed mindset and what the fixed mindset looks like is this is just who I am and like, take it or leave it. I was like this the day you met me. Mm -hmm. I'm like, "Eh, (laughs) you don't want someone like that because that's saying that I'm unwilling to change and grow and evolve. Mm -hmm. And you should want to do that with or without a partner, right? Right. We should constantly be striving to be better than we were yesterday or Mm -hmm. be the best person we can be. You want someone to say like, oh, wow, I didn't realize that when I did that, it bothered you. Like, I'm going to work harder at not saying those things, right? right? Or not saying it in that way, Mm -hmm. because then this person's feeling heard and this person's committing to like, you know, doing something different. So it's definitely possible for, for people to grow and change. But both people have to want it. And like the key really is like how people communicate. Right. And I think that's lots of times. Yeah. If you're going to scream at someone, I always say the second you say the word you like you fill in the blank, Mm -hmm. people stop listening to understand and they're listening to defend themselves. Absolutely. And I'm guilty of that. My husband and I have these, I've I've gotten better with it over the years, but we, yeah. And he even says that he sometimes go, you make me out to be the bad guy, but I don't believe I'm the bad guy. And I'm like, but I'm not trying to do that. I'm just trying to bring awareness. And he's like, yeah, but you're saying (laughs) you. (laughs) Right. You know, or you always, or you never really like, cause I mean, you never do that. Right. Mm, That's probably not necessarily true. Right. and then the, yeah, the, we're all guilty of this stuff. Yeah. And I th- also think too, a part of that, like you just mentioned, defense mechanisms come into place when you feel like your character is being attacked and it does make it harder for you to listen. Also something I had to learn at a younger age in my relationship with my husband was very much, I would immediately go to defend because part of me had this perfectionism, perfectionism that I, mm-hmm. I had to strive to be this perfect person who does no wrong. And I could never see past that. So whenever he would say that I was doing something, it very much would turn into, no, I didn't, or I don't do that. And I, he, he tell, he'll call me out on it now. I've gotten better with it, but he does call me out on it. But it's so hard to get past that, I think, mm-hmm. um, especially when it's happening all the time where you're constantly yeah. being blamed for things or you're not doing something. Yeah, definitely a skill for sure. Yeah, definitely a hard skill. <laughs> So we talked about the MO. MO. V is um, visualizing and gaining clarity around what you want to create next in your life. Right. So when I say, like, all right, what do you what do you want your next chapter to look like? Mm -hmm. Nobody knows, right? Some people decide they want to leave their job or start their own business or move out of state or right. So I I walk women through some different strategies to help them figure out like, what do you want your life to look like and feel like? 
right? Like, how do you want to feel? Do you want to feel happy? And if you want to feel happy, what does happiness look like and feel like for you? You want to feel, you know, at peace. What does that look like and feel like for you? Who's around you? Um, So gaining clarity about what they want their life to look like. The E is embracing new possibilities, right? So you told me, like, when we first started talking that you you and your husband like picked up and just picked up the East coast, went to Austin and right. Mm -hmm. So embracing new possibilities, not necessarily like dropping everything in, like moving across the country, but like stepping outside of your comfort zone, trying new things. Um, What are some things that you've always wanted to try? Maybe your spouse, you know, never wanted to do or Mm -hmm. take that girl's trip or whatever. Mm -hmm. So embracing the possibilities. And then the second, O. um, is owning your boundaries. <laughs> women have lots of women, not all women, lots of women have such poor boundary setting, right? They were right. conditioned to say yes, 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 over extends, over extends. Mm-hmm. Yes, the people pleasing. And then we end up burnt out, resentful, right? Maybe they were in, and this is any relationship, right? But maybe they came from a marriage where, you know, their boundaries were constantly being squashed. And so it's really about how to have firm boundaries, which are not meant to punish other people, but they're meant to protect you. Right. And how to have stronger, firmer boundaries without feeling guilty about it. It's right. Such, and yeah. I always tell people you can be assertive without being aggressive. Mm-hmm. The boundaries so, thing for me is, is there's a lot of women in my life who have a hard time doing that. And that's never been hard for me. So it's a hard concept to grasp another one for me to not be able to grasp because if, if it's, I truly believe that. And I've said this a few times on, on the show that if you are doing something to a person that doesn't necessarily fit in what they expect from you or what they want from you, it is a disservice to not speak up and say, Hey, Mm -hmm. this is not okay. Otherwise it's going to continue to happen. So it's kind of a two-way street. If you set the boundary and I cross it, let me know. Cause I've, I've right. come in contact with women where I've crossed boundaries because I, I speak without thinking and I just let my mouth fly, but I'm never told that I did something wrong. So I'll continue to have, I'll continue the behavior. But if you sat me down and say, this is not okay, then yes, I have a mutual, mutual respect for you. I will not cross that boundary. I now understand that I can't go this way. So I think it's hard not only to set it, but also confront it when it's been, you know, crossed. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And it takes practice, right? right? It takes tons of practice, but letting women know that like, yes, you can do it. Yes, it will be hard. No, you're not being mean, right? Mm-hmm. You have to shift your mindset around it that like you're doing this to protect yourself and you can be assertive without being aggressive, mm-hmm. right? And right. then it's practice, 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 practice. And it's with, all areas of their life, not just with their former spouse. Right. Um, and then the N stands for like navigating your new beginning and the new you. And this is where we jump into like, what is dating after divorce look like? Right. That's mm-hmm. when we do some of the work around, like, what do you want a future partner to be like? What are your must haves and would be nice to have qualities that, you know, they need to have. How do you want to feel in a relationship? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we talk about like attachment styles, right? That's another thing that's kind of all the rage right now. Oh, do you have an anxious attachment style or avoidant or secure and whatever else? And so we talk about like 
what that means, how it manifests, you know, or how it causes you to show up in a certain way um, when you're dating or in a relationship. And again, it's just knowledge for people to have so that they can date with more intention and increase the likelihood of finding someone who is a better match. Right. Finding a partner. Do you ever find women? Yeah. Do you ever find women come to a place where like, I'm just happy. I've, I've, I've I've reached this point and I don't necessarily want a partner. I just kind of, yeah, Yeah. I feel like that's, I feel feel like that's something that's becoming more present in today's Mm -hmm. day and age is women are just like, I don't, I don't need anybody. I can do this on my own. Yep. So I will say most people that I work with do want to find love again, right? But in finding love again, they're not necessarily feeling like it has to result in a marriage or cohabitation, right? (laughs) There are plenty of people who um, start dating again, but they like keep their separate residences, right? Mm -hmm. Or they are only get together when their kids are with the other parents, right? Mm -hmm. And so- it doesn't have to, doesn't have to look a certain way according right. to like society's standards. It's whatever works for them. Right. Oh, I love that. This is all great. Yeah. I love, I love all of this. Thank you for this conversation. Thanks. Um, yeah. my, my, my favorite saying of all my, well, not my favorite saying, I say it all the time. I have to be mindful of time. We're coming up to an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. before <laughs> I let you go, I have, um, one question for you, and then you can also let everybody know where they can find you. So knowing or going through what you've been through, creating your practice and helping all these women, um, what is the one thing you will not apologize for? I will not apologize for getting divorced and choosing me. Love right? that. So not staying in an unhappy marriage where it's all about other people, right? Mm-hmm. My, even though I have kids, my kids are doing great. They're happy. They're healthy. So I chose me. And because I chose me, my life like took this wonderful turn that never would have happened if I had stayed. So I will not apologize for choosing me. Um, and then as far as where people can find me, um, my website is uh, www.lucindatesto.com. Um, mm-hmm. You can find my Instagram, my Facebook um, from there. I do have a private Facebook group that's called the Divorced Mom Sisterhood. So if people want to join that group, um, they can go and, and answer the questions and come hang out in there. And um, yeah, that's it. Ah, I love it. That's so great. I love Facebook <laughs> groups. I talk about them all the time. I'm I'm sure my listeners are tired of it at this point, but I love Facebook groups. <laughs> only the only yep. the good supportive ones, not the ones that you know attack people for asking questions, but they are good. Right. <laughs> they are a good resource. <laughs> well, this is they this are. was great. I love thank you so much for taking the time and, and sitting down with me and talking about your practice and and hopefully somebody um who's in this position where they're not sure what to do or they're post-divorce can use this or maybe reach out to you for some help. Awesome. Thank you, Nikki. Thank you. And with that, I will speak to everybody next week. Bye, everyone.